Welcome to the Future Charlotte podcast. I'm your host, Eli Portillo. I've spent more than a decade studying Charlotte, first as a journalist and now as assistant director of the UNC Charlotte Urban Institute. 20 years ago, this city looked radically different. No light rail, a smaller skyline, and breweries, what breweries? What will we look like in the next 20 years? That's what we're exploring on this show. Our guest today is Taiwo Jaiova, who is Assistant City Manager and Chief Planner for Charlotte. Um, he's the driving force behind some of the biggest plans shaping our city's future, including a new vision for Charlotte in 2040 and a major overhaul of the rules governing what gets built where and how. Thanks so much for spending some time with us today. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Eli. Thank you for inviting me. So this whole uh, podcast, the idea behind it was sort of planted in my mind by the Charlotte uh, Future 2040 plan and thinking about what this city might look like in 20 years. So yes. as someone who's just been living and breathing this, what do you think are the biggest changes that we'll see in 20 years? And um, what does that look like two decades in the future for you? What have you been thinking about the year 2040? When I think about the year 2040, I have to say that I believe we're going to have less emphasis on, on um, driving cars and more emphasis on moving people. Uh, we've been talking about that for many years, but we're going to see a lot of movement towards redesigning uh, urban spaces to pretty much capture that. How do we better move people? And that will impact the design of our landscape. Obviously, it will call for more density, especially along corridors where you have better mobility options. I believe that 20 years from now, cities will continue to still be vibrant and, um, and destination uh, for people who are moving either to look for jobs or to look for um, other things that really make a quality of life be quality of life, if I can put it that way. I think cities are going to continue to be where the jobs are, but we're also going to continue to have challenges with affordable housing. So that will call for housing diversity, uh, which means places where you have predominantly single-family residential development today, we are going to be having different diversity, different types of homes uh, being built in those areas that will allow people uh, who otherwise might not be able to afford single-family homes to live in those environments. But also, as our population is aging, in 20 years, you're going to likely have a lot of people calling more and more for stay, stay in place, age in place, therefore making it possible that if you were to live in a 3,000 square foot home, uh, your desire to live in, in, a, in a less than 3,000 square foot home, but still stay in the same community uh, and live with the people you're familiar with, that will, be, that will still continue to be uh, a driving force behind housing diversity in areas that are predominantly single family oriented. And we are also going to have a lot more people talking about making sure that accessibility to parks and recreational facilities and areas where you play, uh, that you don't have to drive to get there. Uh, and that we're going to live in an environment where as climate changes, it will call for more open spaces. And it's not just going to be you know, 200 and 100 acres of, of parks and recreational areas, but even small pocket parks and plazas on tops of buildings and between buildings and areas where people can just 
play with their dogs or or uh, any other pet that they have, or at least have a you know a small picnic with their young families. They are going to be getting more and more of that because the benefits of of trees and open spaces, uh, as we deal with climate change issues, uh, the benefits will be very very important. And so the twenty year environment would definitely be different from what we have today, and that's why in a comprehensive plan we've tried as much as possible to look into that future um, and provide some plan policies that will support that type of um, city that we want to be. There will be fewer malls, so to speak, because all those shopping areas uh, that are huge in terms of square footages today, there will be less and less people patronizing those malls. Malls have been dying for a couple of decades now, and they will, that will not change. I think there will continue to be less and less need for huge uh, malls and the infrastructure that support them. The question is, what do we do with those um, structures that we have today? And they could be part of the solution to affordable housing, for example, but they could also be part of the solution to um, schools. So instead of building new schools, it could be a way to support daycare, childcare, and schools uh, in those areas, instead of just having these big buildings that are there and they may be dying and creating high source in the urban environment. So there's a lot of things that we that are very auto-oriented for the last many years that are going to change as we move into the future. So it sounds like some of the really big themes that you can sort of distill out of this vision for the future are uh, a more connected city, a less mm-hmm. auto-dependent city, and mm-hmm. a city that has fewer single-use zones. And for people who aren't planners, you know, I'm, I'm talking about the strip mall being totally separate from the office park, being totally separate mm-hmm. from the single-family neighborhood, a city where more of that is mixed together, which I think it's important to point out is historically the way cities, um, the way cities were before the post-war auto building, auto-driven building boom really kind of separated everything out. Yeah, do you think that's a, a kind of a fair way to distill those big ideas? It is. It is in many ways. And so the, the, the question, obviously, once you use the D word, right, density, there are people who are quickly afraid of that. So I tend to break that down, that there's a difference between density and overcrowding. The density should connote the image that we're trying to be more compact and trying, like you said, trying to make sure that these land uses, instead of being in disparate areas, they are more connected, more smart, compact, and able to build tall, while at the same time, if you're going to build out, you want to make sure that it's not just for residential. It also has office uses, a mix of uses, not just multiple uses in a place, but mix of uses that are connected, that essentially depend on on each other and so it's a or rather on one another it's really more of a uh, a system rather than just one use thing so it's not the same as overcrowding where you put so many residential in one area and people have to go across town to find good jobs or drive 10 minutes or 15, 20 minutes away just to find a full service grocery stores, which really played into our old notion of 10 minute neighborhoods. That if we plan 
for that. For the future, 10-minute neighborhood essentially oh, just a little over 2,500 feet where you can walk, you can ride your bicycle, and on a day that's not too warm or too cold, someone on a wheelchair can actually uh, comfortably uh, do a 10-minute um, connection within that small neighborhood. And so, yes, it's 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 people often think, you know, when you when you put different uses together, that's a mix of uses. No, it's it, it's it's a mix of uses that are connected, that are related, but are also are done in such a way that the system is efficient and effective at the same time. So the design is going to be very important and people should be able to we we, we in Charlotte have one distinct advantage over a lot of. Uh, cities, we look at ourselves as a city in a forest, an urban forest. Um, what happens to our tree canopy in 20 years' time? While I don't have any psychic ability to to know exactly what I will do, what we've been saying is that we, we're developing these tree canopy action plan policies right now to make sure that they are working with the type of development and the pace of development that we see going into the future. So if we're going to continue to say, you know, 50% tree canopy uh, goal, we will also have to be flexible enough to make sure that where those trees go, allow us to be able to attain that goal of a green city, a sustainable city, that you have coverage, you know, um, whether you're walking, that 10 minute walk should be comfortable. So maybe more tree-lined streets. And as people develop planting trees in plazas and in different areas where when development is actually overtaking some of the trees in certain areas, we also make sure that we continue to be able to preserve some trees and plant new trees in other areas. So the, it, it sounds simple, but it's not. It's going to be tough to get there. But if we have policies in place today that will allow us to gradually make that journey towards the type of city we want to become, you captured it very well. It's going to be, have to be uses that are, you know, together and can maximize the urban environment rather than, you know, sprawl, uh, but more of a, of a city that is smart and uh, densify along certain corridors. So I think we've already seen the market start to move towards that with things like the redevelopment of Ballantyne from a, a corporate office park to what they hope is a, a mix of apartments, a park mm -hmm. space, you know, other developments we've seen like Waverly or Ray Farms along I-485 that have uses mixed together. So, you know, with the market already moving that direction in some places, how will the new uh, rules, regulations, vision that you've been working on support that. And, you know, if the market's already moving that way. Uh, that, that's very true. Obviously, um, it, the, the, the market is moving in a particular direction that may also influence uh, what our regulations will do. If we feel that there's a good thing going on right now, uh, but they may be because we don't have those rules in place today, but that we are actually allowing that to happen simply because it's a good thing to do. We may have these new rules actually strengthen those trends. Uh, part of what the UDO will do for us is not necessarily to change things that are good, but to strengthen things that are good that today's regulations and rules don't allow. I'll tell you that every planner wants fewer rules and regulations to enforce, and that's 
really what I believe developers want too. But we want to make sure that these are easier to follow by the community who are at the end of the day will be the end users. And so while we want fewer rules and we want fewer regulations to enforce, we want to make sure that they are clear enough, they are transparent enough. So even if today the market is dictating certain things, the community may not necessarily know that. They think more of its impact on them. And so part of what the UDO does is to make sure that we explain this. We make sure that that transparency and accountability is there while assuring some a high degree of predictability uh, for the developers. So tell me about some of the concrete regulation, rule changes, uh, new plans that could come out of all these planning efforts, everything from the Tree Canopy Action Plan to Mm -hmm. the Charlotte Future Vision Plan to the new Unified Development Ordinance, UDO. I think these things can be kind of hard for people to understand if they're not in the planning community. So what are some examples of, you know, uh, real changes that people might see um, as a result of these policies? So we we, let's start with a comprehensive plan where we we talk a lot about uh, place types. So today we have so many districts, right? Uh, Part of the comprehensive plan, really a major thrust of the comprehensive plan is to reduce, you know, to create these place types that will help us reduce the number of zoning districts that we have uh, today. For example, we have things that we call heavy industrial um, today, that when you talk to people that there's the developer that's trying to rezone something to every industry. They quickly pivot to a polluting development that could be really bad, and they may be right. So how can we make sure that we we re we rebrand some of these districts and some of these place types, and while creating and for example, we can call it manufacturing and logistics, and in a place that does a lot of assembly is not necessarily manufacturing. And so we're going to separate that from what we call innovative district as well, where you may have some more of assembly types. We have, I believe, 10 place types that we've created. Two of those who focus on industrial, uh, on residential area, neighborhood one and neighborhood two type. And then within each one of those neighborhoods, we will now further have certain districts that will not be as many as we have today. For example, neighborhood one could be areas where you have predominantly res- single family residential with a smattering of uh, you know, townhomes and, and duplexes in areas where they are allowed. Neighborhood two will be more diverse because you're gonna have more townhomes, more duplexes, more townplexes, sorry, more uh, uh, triplexes in, in those areas. So it, it all depends on uh, what the place type for each area says, and that will define what those districts will be like. So it will not be necessarily what we see today, as much as you know what the place types generate with what what the place types that we generate from the comprehensive plan that would define what those districts eventually will be so it will be necessarily uh changing everything overnight but rather providing a platform by which some of these uh current districts that we have today we can carry some of the very relevant aspects of today's district while we come up with a couple new ideas uh, in um, other uh, zoning districts as well. When you came here, I remember um, interviewing you. When was that? Was that four years ago, five years ago now? <laughs> no, uh, that, actually, no. It three years ago, two years ago? Yeah, three years ago. 
Okay. Yeah. I've lost my sense of time. That <laughs> yeah, was about three years ago. Now. Three years ago. Okay. I've completely <laughs> lost my sense of time in the pandemic. So <laughs> <laughs> you're not alone. Yeah. I remember we talked about some of this stuff, but now it seems like, you know, you're really willing to um, push the envelope for Charlotte. I think as a, a largely um, suburban city where a majority of our res, a large majority of our residential land is zoned for single family houses, mm-hmm. um, talking about density, the D word, talking about, um, you know, eliminating single family only zoning to add more housing diversity. Um, now our transit plans, which could involve a sales tax increase mm-hmm. um, referendum. I think some of these are things that, you know, people um, historically in Charlotte have pushed back on or been controversial ideas. Uh, mm-hmm. Do you see yourself now as being um, a change agent in the city? <laughs> really good question. So, um, I, yes, the, the short answer is yes. I, I see myself as a change agent, but I also believe that it's possible to be one if you have a team that is ready to work with you to make the change. And that comes from council to the city manager to our own team within the planning department. When you look at the city's landscape, um, both politically and also administratively, a lot has changed within the last, within this last four to five years, so to speak. The manager has been here now for about four or five years, um, right about the same time that Mayor Elias um, became the mayor and have um, some of the council members uh, who are very new uh, to, to the council. And then within the department, uh, we've had you know myself, but also I've surrounded myself with a number of individuals who, whether they've been here before I got here or they are new, they are really feeling the pulse of the community and they also know what's happening nationally and how we as a growing city should be responding to that makes it very easy to drive those changes. Um, I got here in 2015 and I was a consultant, but I did not spend enough time in Charlotte because as a consultant, I was constantly going to different parts of the country to manage uh, projects. But coming home to Charlotte and being here as a planning director, confirmed a number of things that I noticed even when I was working as a consultant and having the opportunity to lead some of those things that could change the way we, we do business puts me, I believe, in a very, as a very good position where I can say, you know what, this is what we ought to be doing because I've seen some other communities doing this and it's working well for them. Uh, but even if we don't see other communities doing it, I see that people are having challenges in this particular area. We ought to be making those changes. I'll give you a, a, an example. Um, prior to COVID-19, I believe that was in 2019, I went to visit with, um, I actually invited Metrolina Association of the Blind. I invited their leadership to come and, and meet with us in the office as we work on our comprehensive plan and UDO. I understanding obviously that we have about 10,000 visually impaired people in our city. I wanted us to hear it from their perspective. How do we create a city that's equitable for people who are physically disabled, such as people who are visually uh, impacted? They cross the streets to use transit, 
they, they live, they want a Charlotte that's just as vibrant and quality as you and I, who have the ability to see clearly. And they shared a number of things with us that eventually helped us with framing some of our policies, especially that 10 minute thing, our neighborhood thing. I think that was one thing that really came out of our conversation with them. But not only that, it did not stop there. I also went to meet with them. They blindfolded me and with a cane, I was able to walk within a quarter of a mile from their location, trying to cross a, a Central Avenue, trying to cross Central Avenue to take transit. That was probably one of the most difficult, scary thing I ever did. And to think that there are people who actually go through this every single day um, just made me realize that if I'm not doing this, who will do it? You know, and, and it's not just that. I drive and I see this sea of parking, or I take the transit and I see how areas around that transit station are so ripe for development. Or maybe, like you rightly pointed out in one of your articles, you're driving through some of the areas, including where we had our October 31 driving theater, surrounded by a sea of parking right next to um, residential development. Now you have to ask yourself, is this the best use you know, of this particular lot over time? Or are there other things that we could think about? Now, understanding that not everybody will agree with these changes. There are people who felt that maybe you're moving too fast enough, but you have to also say to them, two years ago, we were the 17th largest city in the country. A year ago, we were the 16th largest city in the country. Then we moved to 15th largest city in the country this year. <laughs> that should tell us something. We are growing faster than we are, can ever match it with infrastructure. But what are the changes that we can be making today that can actually make Charlotte that city where people who are here feel that they belong and people who are moving here feel that they are living in a place that they can stay in for the rest of their lives or at least for the foreseeable future. So I've got to see the planning director as the driver of a lot of changes, big or small. Uh, but you can't really do it if you don't have the right, you know, the right stuff. We're not even there yet. There are some things that we just believe that it's one thing to, to add, for the council to adopt the comprehensive plan. It's another thing to adopt the UDO. The real work starts when we start remapping the entire city. That's going to call for a lot of uh, sensitivity to people understanding of, of where they are. There will be some pushback, but we've got to be very creative in how we address those pushbacks and understanding that there are people who have lived here for a long time. They're concerned about their, the values of their properties. We have to address those things and message those things well that these, change, these changes are not going to be for the bad, but rather they are going to make our city and make your lives even better and your generations after you. So we've got a lot of work uh, ahead of us to do, and um, we're only just starting. So I'm glad to be seen as a change agent, but I truly believe it will not be possible to do without the right people around you. And you've talked about this a lot in your public comments and your um, public discussions around all these new plans. But you know, I think people sometimes don't know how deeply segregated the city mm -hmm. is along race, income, uh, even things like health, you know, there are neighborhoods where people live to be in their 60s and there are neighborhoods where people live to be in their 80s in Charlotte. How are these planning efforts really going to address and account for equity and 
not become drivers of um, more gentrification and displacement? Yeah, it, 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 sometimes it's in the policies uh, because it's the policies and the practices of the past that put us on the path to the inequitable development that we have today. And I believe that planning and zoning have had a lot of role to play in that space. Understanding that, admitting that, and embracing that has allowed us to be able to say, all right, how do we map a new path going forward? And a lot of it is in the policies. A lot of it is in the practices. For example, you see a couple big ideas in a comprehensive plan that for it talks about directing public investment towards vulnerable communities over the next 20 years, deliberately directing these public investments to say that we're going, like we started to do this year, $24 million in corridors of opportunities, and we identified those six corridors that are largely in communities that have been impacted by our segregation of policies in the past, such as Betty's Ford Road, uh, such as uh, West Boulevard, you know, it has to be deliberate, it has to be intentional. So we started, but how can we make sure that we continue, you know, making sure that those investments are going to communities that are vulnerable without necessarily ignoring areas that have succeeded, uh, such as Valentine, such as South Charlotte, uh, to a degree, even the, the university city area. It, to me, that's how we, we begin to address this. We also talked about having some restorative justice programs that really address issues in communities of color. Unless you are direct about things like that and you really truly call them out, uh, people are just gonna continue the same thing. I believe that um, if we are going to make those changes and create that, you know, create that equitable city, it has to start with our policies as government agencies, uh, making sure that when we do our investments, when we do our plans, when we do our rezoning, equity is at the forefront of everything that we do. We're going into FY 2022 budget and equity is, the, is one thing that will be driving that budget uh, as to how we address community investment. Uh, you, you, there's no way you can, you, there's no other way you can do it unless you have been deliberate about it. But there's also a part of uh, sensitivity because the moment you mention equity people quickly pivot to race and that's that's true it's a lot of it has to do with racial inequity and we have to address that but there are other inequities too inequities i mentioned before about people with physical disability we've got to be sensitive to that so i may not be a person of color but i may feel that i am this city is not equitable for me because i'm confined to a wheelchair but i can't move around very well I may be an immigrant who is not able to speak English very well and I don't have a car and I want to get on a public transit system, but if I have to wait for it for 60 minutes, I may lose my job. So how about inequity in mobility options? Um, how about inequity in gender treatment? Um, you know, and so we've got to think a lot about, about equity in a broader perspective, but definitely starting with the whole arc and wedge uh, where we've had so much segregation in our city, that's a great place to start, but it can't stop there. We have to go beyond that to make sure that someone who is 80 years old doesn't feel that Charlotte is not equitable for them, while someone who is 18 years old believe that the city is equitable. How do we balance all of these things? 
it's not an easy thing. And that's, you know, that's part of our job here is to make sure that the investments go in different areas to address the inequity, however way, inequities, however way we choose to uh, describe them. That's a great answer. And it really does get to, um, I think, the the generational nature of equity and uh, and solving inequities. You know, it's not something you can do overnight or even in a few years. For our, our final question here, just to kind of switch it up a little bit, I wanted to ask if you were king of Charlotte for a day, you had a, or you had a magic wand, something where you could change one thing about the city, what would that be if you could do it, do it in a day? Wow. Um, that would be, if I could do it in a day, I would close some streets. Uh, I know that will rank with some people in some way, but I will. I will close certain streets and just create plazas there. Activate them, not just close them for the sake of closing them. Activate those streets. In other words, opportunities to reclaim the urban space to be place spaces. I will do that. And, and in addition to doing that, though, we'll be providing mobility options because if you close and activate streets, people are still going to drive. People are still going to need transit services. If I'm doing that, I will also make sure that I drive substantial investment towards, you know, mobility options for bike riding, safe walking, um, people being able to, you know, drive smartly, whether using electric vehicles, but also making sure that public transit services, especially buses, which carry over 80% of our riders today, run every 10 to 15 minutes. So people don't have to worry about waiting. Those are, those are the two things that I will focus on quickly. Just reclaim some streets uh, for people uh, and, and restaurants can, can have um, capacity beyond COVID-19. And then have, you know, small buses, there could be shuttles, that are running at faster frequencies, faster paces to pull people around and then fewer cars on the street, but done in a smart way um, and bicycles and walkability that people can do safely. Those will be my, my focus immediately. And as we go into our unified development ordinance, they will, you know, we will be focusing a lot on that. How can we, how can this UDO be more human sensitive in nature rather than be just about buildings? Uh, how can it has a human face on it, uh, have a human face on it that, you know, people can see themselves in it. It will not be perfect, but it will set the tone for the type of people-centric city that we want to build. Well, thank you so much for uh, for your time today. I really appreciate it. Where can people yeah. follow along if they want to, um, you know, keep up with all these developments? What's uh, What's the best place for them to look? Great. Um, I would say that people go to uh, our website. Um, City of Charlotte, and when they get to City of Charlotte, they should also look for the uh, planning department. That's where we have the, uh, the different initiatives going on. For example, they can find the Charlotte Future 2040 Comprehensive Plan on CLTFuture2040.com. Uh, and then when they go on, on the website as well, they will also be able to find the Charlotte UDO uh, uh, program as well. And then if they go on the mayor's uh, task force um, initiatives, they will be able to see the Charlotte, future, uh, Charlotte Moves task force information as well as all the presentations we've made recently. Great. Well, always a pleasure to talk to you. I appreciate it. And, uh, you know, I would say um, 
enjoy a break over the holidays, but with all the stuff on your plate, um, I know that you're going to be busy. Thank you. I appreciate it. And thanks again for reaching out. I think this uh, opportunity to catch up with you every now and then um, is really great. And it provides an opportunity for the community to know what we're doing. Uh, sometimes um, people don't pay attention to what's on our website, but they do read your article. At least I read everything that you write, Eli. And, um, and you communicate in such a way that audience is able to, to grasp so thank you very much for reaching out and uh, the opportunity to speak to our community through you. Thanks. Have a good one and we'll talk soon. All right. You as well. Take care. Thanks for joining us on the Future Charlotte podcast produced by me, Eli Portillo, at the UNC Charlotte Urban Institute. Keep looking to the future, Charlotte.